Good morning. We are back at worship today, and we're glad to be able to be with you online. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to the book of Genesis chapter 11, because that's where we're going to be. We have been in this series, and, and we've got one more week left. Peyton's going to finish up next week, and then we are really excited about the following week. We're going to start a brand new series on the Sermon on the Mount, and Peyton and I are extremely excited about it. We're also going to be doing podcasts each week, um, just kind of the background type of stuff, and then, of course, the lessons itself. But this week, we go back into Genesis, and we kind of go back to the beginning and lead ourselves up. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth for humanity that was made in His image. God wanted us to rule the world through him uh, or through us. Um, and yet we must trust the creator in all of this. But the snake makes them believe that God can't be trusted. And they rebelled by taking of the tree of good and bad rather than of the tree of life. They are led to shame broken relationships, and even violence and death as these animals had to be killed in order to clothe humanity who now realizes that they're naked and ashamed. And the bad guy in all of this is, is the snake. He is the shrewdest of the beast of the field. Now this is a literary design and it's intended to be followed through all the way to chapter 11. And anytime we want to take these narratives and take them out of this, this line of thought, then everything kind of falls apart. So it's important we kind of keep these things together because we come to chapter four and we see there is another choice that has to be made. This time it's Cain. Cain is, he is jealous of his brother and he has a choice to trust God or to answer the beast within, sin. He murders his brother. Suddenly the snake becomes Cain. And, and he's the one who has murdered. He is the one who's created violence and broken relationships. He is the beast of the field. And sin is progressing. And just like his parents, he is sent east, further east to, uh, from the Garden of Eden. He builds this progressive city, and in this city, uh, you know, it seems things go well, but then we find in those descendants is, is one of Cain's descendants named Lamech, and he boasts in poetic song about his uh, taking wives and killing a man. Cain, he was, he was um, regretful for what he had done to his brother. But Lamech, he celebrates his murder. Sin is continuing to progress. The beast is progressing, and it's characterized now with Cain and the city. Next is the flood narrative. We mentioned Lamech, he goes and he just, he's taking women, taking wives for himself. And here we see the sons of God, they come down and they begin 
taking. And, and it's, it's reminiscent of what's happening with Adam and Eve before the tree. They see it's desirable and they take. And so they have these giant babies who become great warriors and it leads to more wickedness, more violence. Sin is spiraling out of control. So God destroys his original creation. And, and yet he saves humanity with a second Adam of sorts. It's Noah. And Noah becomes a symbol of Adam. He too is carried through the chaotic waters where these animals come out of the ark first and they're filling the earth and God is telling uh, Noah and his sons to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth to rule over his creation. So Noah gets off and he, he plants a garden just like Adam, a vineyard is what Noah plants and he like Adam, ends up naked and ashamed. So we come to Genesis chapter 11. It is a time when the population is growing and they've decided to come together. It is the climax of this story. So I want us to notice Genesis chapter 11, and I'm just going to read the story that we're going to be covering this morning. It says, Now the whole earth was one language and the same, and the same words, and as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And there said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top to the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower with the children of man had built. And the Lord God said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down, and there confuse their language, so they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the earth. And from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Humanity comes together to build this city, a tower, so that they're not scattered. And they're in rebellion to God. Why? God had told them this is the blessing when Adam and Eve were created in his image, they said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Same thing that was told to Noah and his sons. But they're no longer wanting to fill the earth. They want to stay in one place. And they are rebelling against God. It's, they're arrogant. They're violent. They're wanting to make a name for themselves. Think about it. And this is why these narratives are important. When is the last time we saw one who went east and built a city. And what do they do here in chapter 11 in verse 2? They go to the east and they build a city. And it's what led to arrogance and the violence of Lamech. Now a tower in the ancient world, and really today it's a symbol of power and authority, 
God lives in the sky, but they're not building a, a building for God. They're building it for their own name. They want to be God. They want to be the one who is in the clouds. And that's why we see that Babel, which is the same word for Babylon throughout all of Scripture, represents an ancient evil empire. This is the founding city, and, it's, and, and we see the progression of this beast as we've gone through these narratives. And now we see that the beast is a nation that wants to be God. They want to determine what is good and bad. An arrogant, prideful nation dictating goodness uh, for humanity. And it's, it, will be, um, uh, it will be more interested in making a name for itself than rather than trusting God and the well-being of the people. We see it in our culture today, the Ten Commandments. I mean, it's like, what, what is so, so upsetting about these Ten Commandments and how uh, we want them removed from all the courtrooms across our country? Don't steal, don't kill, care for your parents. It's because of the first two, that we give all of our allegiance to God. And we, as nations and, and humanity, we want to be God. We want to determine right and wrong. And when that happens, you watch it in nations, then ultimately it leads to broken relationships and shame and violence and even death. Murdered unborn children or violence and animalistic behavior happening in the streets, wars that break out, entire groups of people who are oppressed, arrogance and pride that spews from the lips of the leaders. Read the book of Revelation. Read how Babylon is portrayed throughout that book, such as Revelation 17 and verse 5. It is a representative of the current evil world empire, which was Rome at that particular time. It would be like myself, who loves Star Wars, and someone mentions to me uh, or refers to something as an, as an evil empire or an empire building a Death Star. I know that's science fiction, but I know what they're saying. This is a, a powerful, evil empire. Babylon, it is an evil empire building its death star, its tower to the heavens. They represent an arrogant, violent nation. And Peter also used that same um, metaphor in 1 Peter 5, verse 13. But the point of Genesis 11, as well as, as Revelation, is that God is eventually going to destroy these evil, arrogant empires and nations as Revelation 16, verse 17 shows. They must be confronted. In this case, we see that God mixes the languages. They're not able to understand each other anymore. It humbles them. They are scattered throughout the land. And it's exactly what God had wanted to begin with. In chapter 10, in the rest of chapter 11, we see this table of nations and where they are headed. And guess what? Every single one of those nations, they fell. All of them fell. Genesis 3 through 11 is, is trying to tell us something about ourselves. We can't trust ourselves to determine what is good and bad for us. Only the Creator knows what is good. 
and what we need in our lives. And we may try to make wise decisions, but ultimately we're going to make some bad decisions. And, and it's telling us that you don't put your trust in nations. You don't let them determine for you what is right or wrong because, because they also are, are, are given to their own pride and wanting to make a name for themselves and violence and all the things uh, that goes within it. Even those that try to do good by humanity, they're going to make poor, bad decisions at times. We all give in to our ego. We all give in to the beast that is within. Even the nation that God calls out, and Peyton's going to deal with that next week, even that nation that's to bring the Messiah, they fail over and over again, and it's only because of their own pride and, and for them wanting to be like the nations. In fact, they will ultimately be conquered in captivity, and that final captivity is going to happen by the Babylonian Empire. The problem is there's a heart issue that's going on with humanity. And Genesis has been pointing to that fact. In fact, uh, before the flood in Genesis 6, 5, it says, The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. But we find out that the flood didn't change anything, that man's hearts were still evil even as God is giving them this covenant, this rainbow and all of the, it, God says in Genesis 8, 21, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Jesus said it's out of the heart that come these, that, that evil is generated in Matthew, uh, cha I mean Mark chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. Folks, we live in a good world that has gone bad, and all of us have contributed to the brokenness of humanity. And so far, this is all really bad news, but, but there's good news in all of this. And that is, God has so loved us, He was desperate to give us a new heart. He continues to pursue us. The prophets spoke about when this day is going to finally come, the prophet Ezekiel, Ezekiel 36, 27 and 26 and 27, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit and I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And it just shows us once again, it is the creator's actions. It's not our own our progression, our accomplishments that cleanses us and purifies us and brings us into relationship with Him. There is a radical new creation that would come that would break the bondage of sin and judgment, a new spiritual life to, um, to bring to our dead hearts that comes by way of the Holy Spirit. In fact, I want you to turn to the book of Acts chapter 2. This is, this is so powerful. Acts chapter 2. Jesus came, we know, to save us and to bring his kingdom. Um, he's God. He lived. He died. He resurrected. He ascended at the right hand of the Father. And then we learned that 
when he sits at the right hand of the Father, he pours out this promise, this long-awaited promise. And so Acts 2, beginning in verse 1, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The Spirit that it was to come and to change the hearts of humanity that we might trust God, that we might follow Him. It, that's the thing that comes and just blows the doors off of this place. And there's so many hyperlinks that's happening here, whether it's Moses in the burning bush or Israel at Mount Sinai or Pentecost. Well, we're just going to center in on Genesis chapter 11. You notice he says uh, here in Acts, he says that they began to speak in other tongues. That simply means languages. Now, we go back to Acts 2. Keep Genesis 11 in your mind as we continue on in verse 5. Now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one of the one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in, in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. Folks, whereas God had confused the languages in Genesis chapter 11, now it, people are hearing in all of these different languages, but they're understanding. They, they hear. They had been confused and, and scattered before, but God's spirit is different. This is the coming of the kingdom of God and to this multicultural crowd here in Jerusalem. They are being unified, not scattered. They're being unified by the mighty works of God. And notice, not by the works of humanity. Most of our translations in Genesis 11 and verse 7 says that God confused their languages so that they would not understand one another's speech. And that word understand, it's a Hebrew word, shema. It's familiar with some of you. It means to hear. So he says, you know, so they wouldn't hear one another's speech. That's why they use the word understand. But the word translated um, is, is intentional here. It's supposed to be here. Because when the Spirit arrives, Jews and proselytes from around the world, in Acts 2 verse 6, they hear them speak in their own language. The hearing in Genesis chapter 11 is the anticipation of a reversal that happens here in Acts chapter 2. God has come to redeem Israel. His presence has returned. And it doesn't stop here. 
Because Genesis, I mean, Acts chapter one and verse eight, Jesus told them it's just going to begin in Jerusalem. Then it's going to go to Judea and Samaria and then to all the earth, all the nations of the earth. Acts 10, we find the first Gentile convert. You may want to turn there in your own Bibles. It's the first Gentile, that's non-Jew convert. Cornelius becomes the representative of the nations, the nations that are found right here in chapters 10 and 11 of Genesis. And so this is, this is the way it goes. In, in Acts chapter 10, beginning in verse 34, so Peter opened his mouth and said, truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. He goes down to verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For, there, for they were hearing... There's our word again, hearing them speak in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? A new scattering, folks, has begun. But now the scattering isn't to, to move them away from each other. It's actually the scattering is to unite people under this one kingdom the kingdom of God, where all the other kingdoms have failed. Paul's missionary journeys takes us the good news of Christ to all places around the world. The kingdom of God has broken in. It's no longer, uh, we are no longer bound to live outside to the east of the Garden of Eden. What we mean by that is the very presence of God. But as before, humanity has a choice. We enter in humility. Because of Genesis and what we've read in, in this, this particular series, we know that we must come in humility because we too have the character of Adam and Eve and Cain and Lamech and those of the flood and those who built cities and towers out of arrogance and pride. And we realize that we must have God fix this thing and not us. And so we come in faith. That is trust Christ to save us, not our goodness. God's spirit breaks us free from the bondage of sin and death. But you've got to decide. Will you follow the kingdom of God or the kingdom of Babylon? One is a kingdom of peace where God wants to shower his goodness and blessings upon us and to give us eternal life. And the other kingdom is filled with pride, violence, broken relationships, and death. Living for God's kingdom is not easy while we're still in this world, but the completion of that kingdom is coming. And so is the final and the ultimate seventh day rest. I want to go to one more passage. This one is Psalm 137 as we get ready to close. 
Psalm 137, it celebrates the supremacy of God over the nations and, and over their gods, and which was many times their own kings. It is written in a time where the people had been exiled. God's people were exiled in Babylonian captivity. And so he's recalling this life in exile. Listen to these first three verses. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept. When we remembered Zion on the willows there, we hung up our lyres. In other words, they're instruments of joy and praise. For there are captors, there our captors required of us songs and our tormentors mirth saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. This psalm invites us to think very seriously about God, the world, and our place in it. It reminds us of oppressive powers that still exist in our world. They have many different faces and many different names over the years. It is for those who live under oppression today and they sit by these, the banks of a river and they weep because they have had to they have hung up any thought of singing again. It is a reminder that God acted in history to stop the powers that hindered the unfolding of his kingdom. And so we invite God into our human condition and we pray that God will manifest himself in the affairs of his people and the nations. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for your son. We thank you, Father, for this great plan that you had from the very beginning to save us from ourselves, from evil and violence in this world. And Father, we just thank you that you still want to give us life despite the fact we often choose death. And so Father, we just pray for those who may be listening this morning and, and, and maybe they have that that empty feeling inside. They feel that their heart is of stone. Father, we pray that, that they would come to know you and your spirit that will bring us back alive again. Father, we just thank you for your son, Jesus. We cannot thank you enough for all that he's done for us. And so, Father, we just pray this special prayer. And for those in this church who are hurting and suffering and going through difficult times in their own lives, whatever it may be, Father, just come and bring your peace. Please, Father, may your spirit come and bring healing. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.